Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. And this is also the text for our sermon this morning. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Is your church growing? That's the, the question that gets asked when pastors get together at pastors' conferences, right? Uh, that's what we talk about, and then we use the answer to that to judge each other. <clears throat> Is your church growing? Not a, a, a bad thing. In fact, a very good thing, right? Something that, that we all care about. May, I don't know. Uh, have you ever been asked that question? Is your church growing or not? And we want the church to grow, right? We want people to come and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. We want people to be here and join in our family and worship together. We want people to be part of the family. Recently, we've done things around the church, right? We've gotten a new sign. We've gotten a new coat of paint on the exterior of the church, and we intentionally lightened the color of that of the paint so that the church building would be a little bit more visible from the street. We've talked about, some people have even talked about, maybe we should cut down a couple trees so that we're a little bit more visible. Take that for what it is. We've done things like invested in a video camera so that our sermons can be recorded, so that the good news can get out, and so that Lord willing, our church can grow. Is the church growing? That's, that's a thought. That's a, that's a good thing to think about. And that's what we'll be talking about these next few weeks. Sort of. <laughs> next few weeks, so, you know, we are this year going through the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. 
in a series that's overarching title is Follow Me, right? Jesus' words to disciples, come follow me, right? And for the next six weeks, we will be focusing on the church. We'll be focusing on church growth, if you, if you will. Matthew's Gospel is sometimes referred to as the gospel of the church. The church's gospel. And you think about it. The primary form of the Lord's Prayer that we use in worship, where is that found? Matthew. What about the Trinitarian formula, right? We, we start with invocation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Where do we find that? Oh, that's Matthew 28. That's the baptismal formula, right? These next few chapters, specifically chapter 18, is referred to as Jesus' discourse or teaching to the church. It's one of five discourses in Matthew's gospel. And so it's understood why Matthew is referred to as the church's gospel. In fact, of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the word church only appears in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. It is Jesus' church. It is he who builds the church. What does he say in Matthew chapter 16 in, in response to Peter's confession? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> in response to that, Jesus says, Upon this, I will build my church. It's Jesus' church. He builds the church. Not you, not me. Jesus. Jesus builds the church. And sometimes his construction methods are, well, confusing. Sometimes they don't make sense. Today, Jesus, in our text, goes with his disciples and they go up to the region of Tyre and Sidon. They're on a little retreat. They're getting away. Now, understanding about this, this area, this is north of where Jesus would hang out most of his earthly ministry in, in Capernaum. This is north of the Sea of Galilee. This is on the Mediterranean coast. This is current-day Lebanon, pretty close to Beirut, if that means anything to you. This is a region that was known for being nautical and their trade. They knew how to sail. In fact, Tyre and Sidon in this region, at first they, they were kind of political allies with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, both with King David and with his son, King Solomon, helped to build the temple, to build the palace. But as things often do with political relationships, things went south 
between Israel and Tyre and Sidon. Queen Jezebel, have you heard of her? Kind of notorious in Israel's history. She's from Tyre and Sidon, <laughs> from this region, right? So things went south. When Jesus went up to this place, this was a region that was never part of Israel. He was clearly looking to get away for a little time of maybe rest with his disciples. And he's walking through this region, and a woman comes up and finds Jesus. And specifically, Matthew tells us that this woman is a Canaanite woman. It's, it's like Matthew is yelling loudly to us, like, not one of us, not one of us, right? This is an outsider. Only time Canaanite is found in the in New Testament is here. But in the Old Testament, we know that the, the Canaanites were enemies of Israel. And she came to Jesus, and it's interesting what she says. Verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This is noteworthy because this is being said, this is on the lips of a Canaanite woman. Calling Jesus the son of David was kind of like the most Jewish thing you can say, right? To call him Lord, that was very humbling for her to do. So for her, an outsider, to, to refer to Jesus in this way, that, that right there should stop us in our tracks and have us recognize, huh, she must have been really hard up. And she was. Her daughter was, was sick, demon-possessed. We don't have any details what that looked like, but she was desperate. Not just desperate, but persistent. <laughs> she followed Jesus. Maybe she, maybe she had heard about Jesus, this miracle worker. Maybe he, word had gotten, we know people from that region had heard Jesus in, in his other teachings. So it's very possible. And she comes to him and she's asking for help. And what's Jesus' response? Now, uh, if I were writing this, if I were maybe making this up, trying to put the best construction or the best spin on it, I might just skip this whole part about Jesus being silent and some of the things he says. Just get straight to the healing of this little girl. That's not what happens. And so that's not what Matthew tells us. Side note, worth noting, this couldn't, this wouldn't have been made up by the early church in order to put Jesus in the best light. Because there are some things challenging here. And what's Jesus' response? We would expect Jesus 
to have compassion on her, right? He does this all the time. He heals people. He's having mercy on them. But what's Jesus' response at this moment? Silence. Matthew tells us in verse 23, but Jesus did not answer her a word. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> and yet we see this in Scripture. There are times where God's people come before him, plead before him, and the immediate response is silence. Book of Psalms, sometimes referred to as the, the prayer book of the Bible, often refers to God's silence. Psalm 109 says, Be not silent, O God of my praise. Then, uh, you can also read, You have seen, O Lord, be not silent, O Lord, be not far from me. That's Psalm 35. Psalm 83. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, oh God. Why? What's the problem? What's the problem when God is silent? Psalm 28 tells us this. To you, O oh Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest... If you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. It hurts when God is silent. It's, we feel it. <laughs> it's awkward. And quite honestly, we don't know why God, or in this case, Jesus, stays silent. Usually we don't. We can speculate. We can speculate why is Jesus staying silent at this time. Well, maybe, maybe he's, he's testing her faith, right? And, and he wants to see if she really, really means this or if she's just kind of uh, throwing out a request, or maybe, maybe Jesus, through his silence, is setting up a teaching to his disciples who were right there. Or to us who are reading about this 2,000 years later, followers of Jesus. Maybe, maybe he's teaching us about faith. Certainly we see that in the Canaanite woman. Maybe he's teaching us about the inclusive nature of God's kingdom. Not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, for the Canaanites, for those from the region of Tyre and Sidon, from those from Ohio and Michigan and Texas and Florida. It's for all people. So we can speculate why God, why Jesus is being silent at this point, but we don't know for sure. 
And let's call it what it is. Silence can be agonizing. The phrase, her silence is deafening, exists for a reason, right? Or getting the, the silent treatment. Uh-oh, <laughs> you know you're in trouble. If you're getting the, the silent treatment, what does she think? I would rather that, that she just yells at me and tells me everything I did wrong. I'm trying to figure out, what, did I do something wrong? What's, what's going on here? What is happening? What did I do wrong? Why the silence? We don't know why exactly God is silent. But we can say this for sure. That God uses silence to build his church. Whether it be silence in response to the pleas of his followers, or whether it be silence in the passion of our Lord. The night before Jesus was crucified, he's out in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to his Father in heaven. Three times he's praying, pleading, sweating, sweating blood on his knees. Take this cup from me. Silence. So much silence from God the Father that it caused Jesus on the cross to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your silence is deafening. Help me. Jesus felt, in fact, it had happened that the Father had turned his back on Jesus. Whew. Jesus himself, before Caiaphas, the high priest, before him, before the charges of destruction of the temple and all these sorts of things that were brought, Jesus remained silent. Before Pontius Pilate the next morning, the Roman governor. What do you have to say for yourself? And what does Jesus do? He remains silent. Sometimes something that gets overlooked during Holy Week is what's referred to as Holy Saturday. That day when Jesus is in the tomb. He's been buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, resting. That day before Easter, before the trumpet blast and before the lilies and before all the celebration and the hallelujahs come out, what do we hear? Silence. But God is using that 
to build his church. We even practice silence, and God uses silence in our worship gatherings. Uh, a few years ago, did a worship gathering, gathering had a worship gathering at uh, Peace Arvada. And let me tell you, that worship gathering, its name was Koinonia, that worship gathering was loud, okay? We had electric guitars, we had drums, we, had, we went in before the service started, and I'm younger and, you know, whatever, judge me, it's fine, I don't care. But uh, we went in, and uh, the, the, the lead singer, lead musician, Paul's his name, playing for me. He's like, is that, is that too loud? He's like, too loud? Turn it up, right? And I was like, I can hear it. I can't feel it. We cranked it up, and it was super loud. And a, f- a few months later, we were in a discussion, me and a few other people that attended that worship service, and there's some discussion about the volume of the music, of course. And one woman said, and I, I remember this very clearly, she said, yeah, it, it's loud music, but what stands out to me is the silence. We took silence, a time of silence for confession. We took a time of silence and reflection around communion, around our prayers. And for her, and I didn't even think about this. I was just a young buck trying to be cool or whatever, you know. But for her, the thing that stood out was the silence. Think about it. How God uses that time of silence in our prayers, in our confession. And quite frankly, it can be a little bit awkward. When's pastor going to hurry up and get on with the service, right? But there's something that happens in the silence something internally. God uses it. Silence is kind of like the mortar on a brick house, right? Jesus says, I will build my church, right? When we look at this house, we don't say, wow, that's beautiful mortar. (laughs) No, we say that's a beautiful brick home. But what's holding each and every brick together? The mortar. What holds us together, in a sense, what God uses to hold us together is the silence. The silence of the gospel. It might not ever get the attention. This might be the only sermon you hear on God's silence. But God definitely uses it. Conversation between Jesus and this Canaanite woman goes on. Disciples are kind of annoyed. She's following them. and They're like, just send her away. Doesn't look super good for the disciples. (laughs) And then Jesus, Jesus replies to the disciples. He says this. I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. Hmm. 
It's interesting, and that's true. We know that God works through the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, to share his gospel with the world. Kind of weird, though, for him to say this. And the, the woman hears Jesus say this to the disciples. And again, what does she say? Help me. Jesus turns to her. And he says something that's very hard for us. Should I throw the children's bread to the dogs? Now, people might say, oh, the word here is the little, little puppy dog. It's cute. Now, let's just call it what it is. Dogs in this day weren't golden retrievers sitting there to be pet, right? You know, like panting that everyone loved and brought into the shops with them as they went around town if you're in Colorado, right? Now, this was a very derogatory term used by the people of Israel to refer to other nations, also used by other nations to refer to the people of Israel. It's not a nice phrase. So what's Jesus doing here? Maybe he's just quoting kind of the common sentiment. But the woman's response was amazing (laughs) and super witty. Without missing a beat, she says, Hey, even the dogs get scratched from the table. She doesn't deny it. She doesn't say, How dare you call me a dog and then walk away. No, she just says, All right, I'm going to roll with this. I'm desperate. And we see Jesus light up and his face starts to glow. And he starts to speak. To this woman. And what this woman is insisting upon, she's asking for Easter before Easter comes, right? She's asking for healing for her daughter, for resurrection and for life. That's something that we receive as a, as a child baptized into the Lord. That's a gift we receive because of his resurrection. She's asking for Gentile inclusion in the family of God. Let me be part of the family. And Jesus says, Oh, woman, (laughs) great is your faith. And instantly, he heals her daughter. Not only that, but this woman, she's given a place at the table. She doesn't just receive the scraps. So we, today, as followers of Christ, we shouldn't mistake God's silence for his not hearing us. He hears our pleas and cries. We shouldn't mistake God's silence for his not caring about us. He cares for us. He loves us. He went to the cross for us, and he's with us. We shouldn't mistake the Lord's silence for his powerlessness. No, this is the Lord who conquered sin, death, and the devil on Easter morning. 
He's all-powerful. And we know that he uses silence to build his church. Amen.